0: Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Hey everyone, it's Sunday night. It's time again for the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta from SingleInTheCity.ca. Sitting in with me tonight is the lovely Joan Kelly Walker.
0: Hello, thank you
1: from The Real Housewives of Toronto, but also many other or many more things, and you've got so many things in the works, don't you, Joan?
0: Yeah, it's very exciting. Stay tuned. Check my website.
1: (laughs) And now we all face unexpected obstacles in life, and when these moments arise, we can choose to either let them define us, or we can face them head-on. Today's guest, Emily O'Brien, was dealt a hard hand when she was sentenced to a four-year jail sentence after being manipulated into taking part in a drug ring by her then-partner. While serving time, Emily chose to take charge of her life behind the scenes. She started her own business, a popcorn company now known as Comeback Snacks, Today, she works with retailers across Canada or Ontario, growing her brand and sharing her story through interviews, speaking engagements, a documentary on BBC, congratulations, and her soon-to-be published memoir. Carrying it forward, Emily also gives former inmates a second chance by hiring them as part of her team, which is amazing. We're going to talk about that too. Now, today with Emily and Joan... We're going to talk about how to rise after adversity, create positive opportunities from negative circumstances, why it's important to challenge the stigma surrounding people with past convictions and the signs that you may be in a relationship with a con artist and so much more. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much. This is awesome. <laughs> and Joan's already bought your popcorn. I did. I love it. i hard popcorn fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, um, Let's start off by you telling us a little bit about your story. How did you wind up with a four-year sentence, girl? Yep. So
2: I, I, I was living in Toronto in 2014, 2015. Started my own business. It was a social media company, and it was doing really well. Um, things were going kind of odd in my family, you know, just typical things. But um, it was pretty hard on me, and so I kind of tried to mask this challenge by consuming more, more alcohol. And then I did get into in, into some drugs and the drugs are also part of like the, the scene, like where I was working. So that's how, that was my excuse. And, um, so obviously, you know, I'm not making all the right decisions, but I thought it was the right decisions I needed to keep my business going. You know, I wanted to remain strong and I didn't want to I didn't think asking for help would make me seem strong. And so I just kind of passed it off as, you know, the environment and, and that's what I needed to do to keep going. And, and that's what helped me push through and, and keep the business running. But, internally uh, I was really, really struggling. And through my business I actually met someone. So it wasn't like through dating app or anything like that. It was actually through my business and someone that wanted to, you know, engage in a business contract with me. So we met on Instagram and I was always getting messages about, you know, my business and what I was doing and how I could help other entrepreneurs, small business owners, restaurants. And so one day I received like a typically average message and it was like Hi, I have this Car company, this car dealership company, and I really want to build its presence online. And I was like, okay, cool. And so one of the things that I did always was go on site and, and meet people because I was just always an in-person person. And we didn't like jump into this romantic relationship right away. We actually became really good friends, and at first. And then he kind of saw how much um, I was kind of struggling with my substance use, and he, I thought he honestly had the best intentions for me. You know, like the guys that I was dating at the time, like they just wanted to party with me and go out and drink and what, and that kind of thing. So when I met someone that actually thought wanted to me to live a sober lifestyle, I was like, okay, this is like actually someone that has my best intentions in mind. And, and so I actually began to really trust him. And so it was over the course of like six months, we did some, some business together and then things started to get a little strange. Um, You know, some of his checks kept bouncing and, you know, I'd drive all the way up to, to his office to go pick them up and then, you know, spend the whole morning going up there and, and then finding out the checks were bouncing. And, in like, in apologies for this, like apologizing for this, he would like buy me all these random gifts that I didn't want and that, that I never asked for. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't like paying my, <laughs> paying my expenses here. Like he, he bought me like a, the first thing he bought me was, like a, or I don't even know if he bought it, to be honest, but it was like a, a Michael Kors watch. And then I didn't, it didn't have a battery in it. And then he also bought me like a TV,
1: was stolen. He, he,
2: yeah. and then he got me like a sound system, which I was like, I don't I even like a tiny condo. Like I don't like <laughs> where all these things coming yeah, from? All
1: these items are off the truck, you know. Yeah, they're from <laughs> somewhere, you and you I'm think. like, okay, okay. And um, so, how long did then,
0: it take you before you finally caught on? Like this guy isn't really legit.
2: It was about about five months in. Five months in, and I was like, honestly, about to cut the cord. With him. Um, but there was one other part to this story. And the part to the story that really got me on this trip was that he bought and sold used cars. And so he was like, I really want to help you get like a new car because I needed a new car. And so we ended up splitting the cost of this new car. And I had to, you know, so I gave him my, my share. And then I never got the car. And I was like, where, where's this car? And then there's just so many excuses that kept drumming up. But then again, I'd given him like $10,000 for my, oh my part of the car and so i was i was like it's not like i could just be like well whatever screw you like it wasn't like a hundred dollars you know so he kind of had me attached to him until i could get this car and then a couple of weeks later he comes over to my apartment and it's like listen like i'm really sorry about the car situation everything that's going on like let's just go on this let's just go on a trip like i really want to take you somewhere and i was i was like kind of annoyed at this point i was like listen like if this car is not ready by the time we get back, then like, I'm like I'm I'm done, you know. But still, it was ten thousand bucks. Living in Toronto, it's not cheap. So, um, you know, I actually trusted him to, because he was just so like nice. He wasn't like me or or abusive or like violent. He's none of those things.
0: And he was wasn't scary. used
2: like he wasn't abusing substances himself. No, he was actually sober. Yeah, he didn't have he didn't have a record. Nothing like complete like that's probably because he hadn't been caught with anything yet at this point, I guess. But, um,
1: cause he uses other people to do his dirty work.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was his uh, intention for me. And then he came over to my apartment and then he's like, I really got to talk to you. And I was like, about what? Like, why can't you just text it to me? And she didn't want to text it to me. And he's like, Oh, I just like wanted to ask you, like, is it okay if I like bring drugs back on this trip? And I'm like, okay, absolutely not. Like he knew that I'd traveled. Like I, I spent a lot of my time throughout university just, traveling and exploring the world because that's what really brought me joy and perspective and so my I had a pretty like extensive travel history and I guess he thought I had like such an open mind that maybe I'd be down with this right but I said absolutely not and then so he left like an embarrassment but then I went out that night and of course you know a couple drinks in he he knows that I'm out um, and then he texts me he's like you know what? I'm so sorry I even asked you that like that was so stupid. Like, let's just go on this trip and you know, nothing, nothing's going to go down. Like, it's just me and you, and you know, being swayed by a, by him and obviously a couple of vodka sodas. I said yes, and that was my downfall. You know, that was me taking the easy way out from all the other things that were going on in my life.
0: So you got down on the vacation, and then he asked you again. By the way, can you
2: take these drugs home? Um, he didn't I mean, ask me on the vacation? No, he uh, told me on the Wednesday after like two days of fun and just you know drinking, going see doing, and then the third day like everything kind of changed. And he's like, "Yeah, you have to actually come in the car with me, and you don't really like have a choice." Like he owed a bunch of money, he told me, and, and so I had to basically not go down to the pool that day because I was I usually went to the pool in the afternoon. He's like, "Okay, well you can't actually go anywhere." And so he's like, "Did you really think it was just like fun and games? Like it's not." And so, half an hour later, we got picked up by these two people, and they take us to a house and I'm not really scared yet because I still think like I'm not actually going to have to do it like I thought he was kidding, and maybe I could just weasel my way out of this and But I guess before we went down, like when he booked the tickets, he actually told the people down there who were responsible for moving these drugs up that I was doing it with him, so they were under the impression that oh like if he has if he supposedly has his debt to clear like I'll never know the true story because everything he told me was a lie, like what was going on in his life. And so I just like kind of wanted to go home. Like I told him, I was like, I'm not going to be good at this. Like I'm a terrible liar, especially at it.
1: But why did you have to bring over the drugs? Why didn't he just bring them over? I don't understand that part.
2: He had them too. Oh, so you split them so that he
0: had some and you had some.
1: Well, why didn't you just yeah. say, this is what I don't understand. Why didn't you just tell him where to go? Why, why, why? No, I'm not doing this. Why, why did you do it? Because I was in another
2: country with people that I didn't know, and the only person that I knew was him.
1: But couldn't and- you got to the, when you got to the border, you like before you got on the plane, talked to someone, the authorities, something, these people are trying to get me to traffic drugs. I feel like there's a gun to my head.
2: No, because you never know who's in on it down there. And they oh. one of the things they also told me was that people often at the airports in other countries are aware of what's going on. And so I wasn't about to play hardball with someone else's narcotics that weren't mine in another country. Where anything so what about
0: happened? when you landed in Canada? Like, did that go through your mind? Like, you know, maybe I better talk to someone? Or at that point, you're like, okay, we're
1: almost oh, done. I think Let's you're done by then. I
2: think- yeah, and like, I, I did try to like hide... Like, I couldn't obviously hide it because my body language was through the roof. And he told me because I was freaking out the last the last two days we were down there. So I really didn't want to do it. And, and I was panicking, but I was, like, panicking inside, you know, just trying to be to be normal. And then he was, like, always watching me where I was going to make sure I wasn't, like, messaging anyone on my computer about what was going on. I had to take all these, like, staged photos that made it look like I was having fun. And then when we got to Pearson, he's like, okay, I'll take the, the drugs off you when I go through the when we go through like the customs, because I told him, I was like, it's not going to work. Like, I'm going to be bad at this. So he originally, he told me that to ease some of my stress that he would take these drugs. Once we landed in Pearson, I could take them off in the bathroom and he would somehow carry them in a backpack through. And, but when we landed, he also, then he told me, it's like, Oh, sorry, it's too late. (laughs) So I was like, okay. Like my loyalty to him ended there. But then at the end of the day, like they still weren't my drugs. And I didn't, Like, they had all my family's information, they knew everything about me, and I was just, my first priority was was safety, and I didn't know the legal repercussions, and yes, it was definitely a bunch of ignorance and stupidness and, and fear combined, and that led to me getting arrested and eventually having to serve time for that,
1: so... We what like this is an incredible story. Uh, I have so many questions, um, but when we come back, I want to discuss the business side of things. What ignited your entrepreneurial spirit, and what inspired you to work towards this comeback? We'll be right back. Stay with us.
0: Now back to the dating and relationship show with Laura Bilata from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellata, and joining me tonight is Joan Kelly Walker. As well, entrepreneur and founder of Comeback Snacks, Emily O'Brien, discusses her story pre- and post-incarceration, how bad relationships can drastically impact your life, uh, what red flags to look out for in relationships, and her experience in prison, as well as the stigma that's around being a former inmate. Welcome back to the show, guys.
0: Yeah, before the break, we were talking about your story, Emily, and how uh, you were coerced to carry these drugs back for this guy who ended up being like a totally smarmy individual. And we did. We were just at the point of the story, like what happened to the guy? You were at the border, and uh, you know how did they how did they know to check you? Were there sniffer dogs? And then and then pick it up from there.
2: Yeah. So he was with me with the same amount of, of narcotics, and we got separated when we went into customs. And he'd been giving me no coaching as to, like, who I was that day. Like, my identity, other than a drug mule, was lost completely. Like, I didn't know, he didn't tell me if I was his girlfriend. Like, how long, he didn't tell me how long we were supposed to know each other. So I just, like, said the truth. Because, again, if I'm on the spot, like, I just wanted to tell the truth. And um, so I had a number of physical red flags. Like, I guess in the paper, with the police paperwork, it said, you know, there was, like, a bulge coming from underneath my dress because I was given this, like, horrific dress to wear something i would never be caught dead in normally but i had to wear this hideous dress and they could see it underneath also like my eyes were darting all over the place Um, i wasn't making eye contact with him i was walking behind him i didn't go up to the initial set of customs with him which is like i guess another warning sign and i was wearing a cardigan which is another warning sign and so the also um the like technological indicators number one was that he booked the tickets literally right before we left and that's often a uh, warning sign to border officials. And they also um after you know we'd been arrested they traced all of his travel and I guess they'd been they'd been watching him for a bit because he'd been making a lot of these trips.
1: Hmm. So, so what happened to him then now? Is he still in jail? Um yeah, so I pled guilty pretty
2: much right away because I that was the first step in me kind of like recovering and healing and and solving and solving all the issues that I'd caused within my family and, and, and the community. And he delayed his for a bit. And so he's actually in, in prison right now. Mm. Wow. Did yeah. he ever try to reach out to you?
1: <clears throat> he actually
2: has a couple times. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. And I'm just like, I forgave him and he knows this, but that doesn't mean I want him in my life. Like forgiveness yeah. was, was for me. It wasn't for him. So it wasn't like, chapter. like, I'm not asking you to RSVP back into my life. <laughs> like, Yeah.
1: Okay, well let's discuss on a positive note, something great has come out of this because yeah. now you're, well, it's ignited your entrepreneurial spirit and uh, your spirit, sorry, and now you've got this great comeback. So what inspired you to work towards this comeback and your company, Comeback Snacks?
2: Working towards the comeback was based off the fact that I knew deep down and you know, within the community, I had done a lot of good things in my life and it wasn't like my, like I had never had the intention to profit off crime. It was more like love was my drug, and that's what led to my downfall. It was my emotional decision, and I knew that I could definitely come back from that because I had so much tremendous support from family and friends. And because I'd done so much volunteering and activities and, you know, speaking in different entrepreneurial communities prior to my arrest, I had a pretty extensive network and that all really helped when making my comeback move. And But that comeback move wasn't just for me. It was after realizing, like, how many women were in prison for the same thing and how many just had a, a story to tell and just wanted kind of... What do you mean by the
1: same thing? Drug trafficking? Oh,
2: like, yeah. love was yeah. their drug?
1: Yeah. Oh, love was their drug. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yep. And I was just like blown away. So I kind of became like almost obsessed with like finding out stats and how these things happened. And I realized like after doing research that 30% of the women in prison were there for for importing, and most wow. most women didn't have a criminal record. You know, it was just like a one time thing. Usually for someone else, like they weren't, you know, the ringleaders at all. They're very low. Like we we're drug mules are like the lowest level hanging fruit and worthless. Like that's why it's called a mule, right? You're like a a donkey horse that's worth nothing and but yeah we're we're the ones serving these heavy sentences but I also saw like a lot of potential in so many people and so I wanted to share my story and I knew it would come at a cost I knew that everyone would know this about me but I felt like if I could own it myself no one else could own
1: it well hey we're not when judging you. you look Joan already bought your popcorn oh, yeah, I love it yeah so, so <laughs> Emily yeah. Of
0: those stats, how many of the women that you met in prison were still in the relationship with the person that had coerced them?
2: Um very few. like a lot of the t- most of the women don't even didn't even know the person. Mm. like I was just one of the few who actually was with with a partner so
1: And how were you able to get your business off the ground while you were behind bars? I mean, how did were you able to establish business contacts? in jail or were you using your contacts you had prior and are you even allowed to bring that information into jail like how would you even start a business in jail
2: yeah so what I noticed was that when you have everything taken away from you or most things that we think we need we can actually use our creativity and use what we have around us to create really unique things so what I would do is like I came up with Certain popcorn recipes inside. Some of my friends helped me out with the recipes inside inside prison because we were able to pop popcorn in there.
1: How cute! And then, um,
2: yeah, yeah. And then I um had a couple friends like send me market research on food trends and recipe ideas. And then I also had like a like a a little website launched uh, on the outside from when I was inside. Like I started a little blog, just kind of telling my story. Um, and why I was there and why I thought it was important to, to share it as opposed to just keep it tucked away like it never happened. So I was able to build some momentum just from using, you know, stamps and a, like a phone card and the ingredients that we had in there. And I would write lots of letters and stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, letters yeah, are the best. If you ever hmm. want to get someone to open it, uh, open something, send them a letter. Because we don't open all of our emails, but <laughs> we open all the letters we get. So,
0: so were there programs and stuff in place to to help kind of guide you? Like if, you know, if people are really trying to change their life around and trying to, you know, make a new life for them when they get out of jail and help others? Like are there programs and counseling and things that help put you in that right direction? There were a
2: couple. Like I wouldn't say they were exactly like appropriate for the people that were in there. Like they brought in like this big business consulting firm where everything was just like over the top and like it didn't really hone in on the basics that people really needed to understand business and and small business like I started my business in there for a hundred dollars and I think that's what needed to kind of be taught and how to use creativity for good uh like constructive creativity but like normally the system is used to like destructive entrepreneurship right drug dealing all these things it's it's the same qualities it's the same kind of skills that you need to have they're just used in illegal ways. So what I wanted to kind of share as part of my message was that people in prison actually have a lot of skills and a lot of talent that can help move businesses forward or create businesses as opposed to, you know, just being like, no, you have a record, you're, you're not really worth anything.
1: Now, the art of the comeback, this is a term that you speak a lot about. What are the key mm-hmm. components necessary for others to pull off their own comeback? Um you
2: have to commit to it and commitment you know we all have commitment issues apparently but this is something that you have to commit to and part of my commitment was you know achieving sobriety maintaining sobriety because I know that that was part of my downfall I can't just blame it all on this on this one guy you know like sure there there's certain factors but I I did have to take accountability which is another part of it um you have to learn how to apologize and realize that apologies aren't just words; they're not emojis. They are apologies are are a process, and sometimes it takes people longer than others. Um, you also have to have engagement with others. You have to share your story with different kinds of groups in different ways. Like I, I speak with like women entrepreneurs. I also speak with like people that have overcome addiction. I speak with people that ha- are starting a business on a shoestring budget, or coming back from, from adversity. So there's a lot of different channels in which the story has actually helped people. And so the fact that I do that as often as I can. And when I got out of prison, I was doing free talks, you know, I was doing many sponsorships of, of entrepreneurship events with like little free bags of popcorn, you know, and so slowly making those connections. And then also like I would just pra- by, by, pra- by doing free talks, I could like practice the way I shared my story and then also learn how to ad- address tough questions. Cause that's definitely part of it and you can't uh, you can't just run from the tough questions you got to deal with them head on and and respond to them in in thoughtful ways instead that of is, instead of defensively
1: now you there's going to be setbacks right so what do people need to remember during tough times and the setbacks people need to
2: remember that it's you're not going to be happy like all the time and it's going to take a lot of grit and it's going to take a lot of frustration But I think in today's world, we're so used to things being handed to us. Like everything is so easy to get. Like, you know, the
1: The younger generation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
2: The best, the best Internet, you know, the best MacBook. And it's like, food instantly buy this instantly. It's like the instant gratification is kind of crippling Mm -hmm. our, our ability to grow and do things ourselves. And so it does take time and it's, it can be grueling sometimes, but it's kind of like you're crawling through mud. But once you get out of that mud. You're so much stronger. Yeah, you have to forgive and love yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Even if you're crawling through mud, you have to you have to think forward, and you have to like you know trust yourself that you can do this. That so you're going to get the grit and the hard work in. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And and you and you are the master of your own ship, the one who decides what's temporary or what's permanent. And I think the motivation you have is entirely up to you. And really, the only time that you have to meet. Deme- uh, admit defeat is when you actually give up, right? hmm And I also, I want to take a moment to acknowledge those who are thinking about making a change in life or reinvent themselves, but feel that they're too old to do so. I And, f- well, f- first and foremost, I think, Joan, you'd agree with me that you're <laughs> never too old to reinvent yourself. Absolutely. I'm the
0: queen of that. I've been doing that my whole life.
1: <laughs> you're still and reinventing yourself. I just keep yourself. going.
0: And I'm getting older, but... Hey, it doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> when you Yeah, and when you hit the middle of your life, you have a second half for all kinds of possibilities. And sometimes that can be more difficult for some of us in the middle of life because there's a part of us that doesn't necessarily believe it can happen. But you need to believe and know that you are never too old to set another goal or to dream big. Your life is yours to live and you are in control of how it plays out.
0: Totally, totally agree. So, Emily, you know, when I hear your story, I can't help but think of that story, Orange is the New Black. I read the book and I watched the TV series. There are definitely mm-hmm. some similarities there. Um, and that story is focused mainly on kind of the dynamics between people in prison. What was that like? What was it like dealing with the other women that were there? Because I'm sure some of them have really big personalities. Some are very abrupt mm-hmm or uneducated and, you know, they don't really understand what you're doing and here you're putting yourself first and trying to make a better word, world for yourself. Was there jealousy? Was there hatred? How did that go?
2: Um, I never saw any, like, jealousy or hatred. Like, we were all pretty, pretty united in there. I also wasn't part of, like, the cliques where there was often drama. Like, if you're going to do drugs in there, if you have debts in there, if you mess with other people's relationships, you're going to run into problems. And I was never involved in kind of any of that. In fact I kind of I like wanted people to share their story with me so when people were talking to me they actually felt connected because they a lot of people haven't been heard before no one's heard their side of the story. Like they were just thrown in prison and so I was were you actually
1: able were, sorry, sorry. Were you in there with murderers as well? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. And you had the um, same relationship with them? Like were you judged?
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't judge anyone because like for me I just thought as as traveling to another country with a, a culture that it's had its own language, like currency, you know, food, and I've always been personable and just try to listen. Like I have always been a big listener and so the less you talk and the more you listen, like you can actually connect with people people more. So it was it was eye-opening for sure and I, I also had a lot of like gratitude for the privilege that I do, that I did have because I
1: had a lot That's great advice. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the signs that you may be in a relationship with a con artist and more. We'll be back.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: You're tuned into the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm your host, Laura Vellata from SingleInTheCity.ca with Joan Kelly Walker tonight from The Real Housewives of Toronto. And Emily O'Brien is in studio. She was sentenced to a four-year jail sentence after being manipulated into taking part in a drug ring by her then-partner. She started her own business while in jail. A popcorn company called Comeback Snacks. And we're talking about how to rise after adversity and create positive opportunities from negative circumstances. Now, what about the obstacles, Emily, that you faced after being released? I'm sure there were some.
2: (laughs) Oh, of course, of course. Um, The first one was that I wasn't allowed to just jump into the the business that I wanted to to start. Like my parole officer wanted me to get like a a normal job, like with a a pay stub, which is fine. You know what? I I can work around that, and I kind of use that as a, a birthplace of. of a new community. Like, you know, you start a gym, you're starting a healthy lifestyle. So I was actually able to do events at the gym that I was working, promoting the popcorn. Um, The second obstacle was that I lived in a halfway house for the first six months. So I had to like, every time I went somewhere, I had to to, have to call and report what I was doing, who I was meeting with. I had to get extensive permission slips to leave Hamilton. So anytime that I wanted to do a talk in, in Waterloo or Toronto or something, the person that wanted me to do to do a talk had to do a letter, had to write a letter to say we'd like Emily to come speak. And just so much like back and forth permission stuff that a uh, paperwork was pretty stressful. Yeah. yeah. And then my parole officer actually in the beginning didn't want me to hire who, who I said I wanted to hire, even though the parole board of Canada during my parole hearing allowed it. So I kind of went back, with, back and forth with her about it. I was like, why would I do this if I can't, you know, so what she was saying, what they said didn't line up. And eventually, like, I, I kind of, I won, which is good. Um, so I'm able to hire people now that have that been incarcerated, which is good. And yeah, like, that was and just get, getting everything else in order, getting my finances in order, because um, it was a mess when I, when I went to prison, like, my mom had to be my power of attorney. And so, but luckily, living in the halfway house, I didn't have to, like, pay rent. So I was able to kind of build up some income there as well. But when you go to prison, like, you make $5 a day. You can't really work, so it's not really something that where you leave with like a nice financial cushion, right? In fact, it, it does the complete complete opposite.
1: Well, you're so lucky that you had a supportive family.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was like something that I really recognized. I was like, if I didn't have my family who loved me, if I didn't have my family who is
1: where would on you on the be? affluent
2: end? Like, I would still be sitting in jail right now, and. I think about that think every day. Would
1: be, and do you think you would be in a similar situation and have the same outlook if your family wasn't behind you? Because there are a lot of people I'm sure that you met in prison that their families probably gave up on them, or maybe they didn't have families and that's why they're there. But
2: Yeah, yeah, and for sure. And like that's why I like to say there's no such thing as self-made. Like, I 100%... You know, one. But that was also one of the benefits of being so open about about my story was that a lot of people then wanted to want to contribute. So not just my family, but like other business owners in the community, um, teachers, you know, addiction specialists. Uh, there was like a printing company that was like, "We love your story. We'll give you like a, a thousand bucks and, and free labels to, for your first a thousand bags." Right. So there are hundreds and hundreds of, of stakeholders, and they're all they're all so important. Which is also why I encourage people to. You know, maybe that sharing things that they regretted doing isn't isn't for the worst. It can be for the best because then you can also help heal through other people's stories who then in turn share it with you.
0: Yeah, I think on, honesty and telling the truth is always definitely the best thing. So, like, what have you learned? How do you assess the people that you're working with? Like, you're working with, you know, people that have been incarcerated. So, like, how do you evaluate, like, is this someone that I can trust or
2: not? Um, I know that I can trust them because they usually start out just wanting to volunteer. They want to be part of the brand because they, they feel comfortable working with me because they know that they can kind of talk about anything, whether it's like a bad addiction or a former run-in with the law or like some kind of personal struggle that you might not want to share in in a corporate workplace. And also like, I'm not going to be mad if like they tell me if they like screwed up or something. So just having like a very transparent and compassionate workplace has kind of showed me like has created loyalty in a way um, because I don't, I don't judge and, and I get it if someone's going through something or if someone like doesn't want to talk about something, you know, you also can't force things out of people. Um, so usually like I can have a pretty good, good reading on them. It's because they've volunteered honestly for the first couple days. And then I'm like, no, you don't have to volunteer anymore. Like I'm happy to happy to pay for it. But people like to, people have said it's therapy. Like working there is therapy. Uh, How many people do you have working now? I have three, uh, three of three of us in the kitchen, and then I have a business partner as well, and then a couple other people that have just helped connecting. So, But, sure. like, directly in the kitchen, three, yeah.
1: So, Emily, I have a question for you. So I love the fact that you're giving former inmates a chance to work with your company. I think that's amazing. And on that note, why is it important to challenge the stigma surrounding those who were previously incarcerated?
2: Um, well, the first one is that it just reignites the cycle of addiction and mental health and eventually crime, right? Mm -hmm. So if if we're saying we're going to send people to prison for their crimes, that's when they should be forgiven. It shouldn't be, we're still going to punish you by not hiring you or not giving you a chance or, you know, saying we're going to hire you, but then, oh, you have a record and and now you can't. And it's just taking all the talents that someone might have and throwing them out the window. So it's actually bad for our economy as well because, you know, taxes pay for prisons and then, we have social programs for people that, you know, can't find work. And often the people that are on these social programs are because they, they can't find a job. And so it it just, it's like a continuous, continuous cycle. So yeah, part of the other work that I do is actually work with other, other businesses and organizations to help them incorporate better policies. I'm not saying you don't have to have a single policy, but I'm just saying, look and like pay attention. And, you know, if this had happened to you, What would you fight for? You would fight for yourself too, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about signs that you may be in a relationship with a con artist. Um, We we don't have much time before the break, but maybe we can just, uh, you can start us off looking back some of the red flags that maybe, um, I think you pointed some out at the beginning of the show, but what what were some of the red flags that pointed towards your then partner being a con artist?
2: Um, Definitely just being too nice. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm, I'm a nice person. So when someone's like nice to me, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But the I fact that he was just out. like too, too nice. I'm like, why are you so different? And normally you want to have like the best thoughts about people. Like, I'm not going to be like, Oh, I don't trust anyone now because there's so many good people in the world that are actually
1: nice. And because they're nice. Right. Um, but uh, Emily, we need to continue with this conversation, oh. and then I'm also going to give my advice when it comes to being more careful when dating. And um, she might be meeting con artists out there, uh, but we'll, we need to take a break, so we'll, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: And we are back. This is the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker tonight, and entrepreneur and founder of Comeback Snacks. Emily O'Brien is here discussing her story pre- and post-incarceration, how bad relationships can drastically impact your life. And now uh, we're going to talk about the signs that you may be in a relationship with a con artist before the break. Emily was giving us some of the red flags that uh, pointed towards her then partner being a con artist. Do you want to continue with that?
2: Yeah. um, So the second one I would think would be that they always leave stuff out. Um, There's always going to be something that's mysterious about them. You know, so like in my case, my partner said he was separated but then he still lived with his partner and that kind of related to like why i couldn't get this car but then again he, you believe them you're like okay cool because you know relationships can be messy you never really know and the fact that he was just super secretive for a very long time about that part of his life but what also, made you stay huh
1: Mm-hmm. What makes us stay, right? Like you stayed, and we and I know. a lot of us are guilty of this.
2: Because he was too nice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he, he had to like in somehow. And and also he owed me ten grand.
1: <laughs> yeah, mm. for the car. Yeah. And he gave he he was just he gave you so many things, and that's one big red flag.
2: Yeah, covering and- up like legitimate failures with random things you never asked for you know so you'll you'll forget about it but he clearly didn't know me very well because he if he knew me well then he would have known I don't even like really like material things like (laughs) I didn't want all these and you don't need a big stereo and you don't need a watch without a battery
1: yeah but those again those were off the truck That's why he gave you those things, because they were free for him. He didn't pay for them. Okay, so I want to give you some advice when it comes to being more careful when dating, especially since so many people are meeting complete strangers on dating apps and social media these days. So Mm. my first tip is what you had said, Emily, previous. If you meet someone and it seems too good to be true, they say all the right things, they're smooth in their delivery, then you really need to be careful. You need to keep your eyes and ears open. Then. Um, if somebody moves really quickly in a relationship, they want to move really fast, you know, they might even want to get married, they want to move in, you you really have to um, trust your gut and take your time getting to know someone. Even when you think that you know someone, you don't. Personal information like your social insurance number, your ATM card, whatever, your credit card numbers, save those until you know somebody uh, or you've known them for a very long time. Don't, Don't just hand out those numbers. And cons are really good at coming up with reasons why they need money. So never, ever, ever give anybody that you don't know money. And then look for people that disappear, right? So especially during, like, holiday times, like maybe Valentine's Day, Christmas, it could be an indication that they are, like, definitely living a double life, like this guy you had mentioned that was living with his ex still. But the stories didn't match up. Stories that don't match up. So those are my tips. Joan, I think you had a yeah you know I just I don't know
0: how or why I put up with this for so long but every Friday night (laughs) this guy would say okay I'll pick you up at 5 o'clock we'll go out and he'd tell me this big wonderful thing that he had all planned and then he would and so I'd get all ready and I'd be all excited and then he would call at about 6 o'clock and say oh I'm sorry I just was late a little bit I'll be right there so I'd be like okay I'm here I'm ready and then he'd call at like 7 o'clock oh I had to go for a drink with my boss and then pretty very soon it would be nine o'clock, and I'd be like taking off my makeup, thinking, "Okay, well, this Aww. is another Friday night that's just ruined." And you know, it took me a few of those before, like, I wanted so much to believe him. And eventually, though, it's like, okay, enough of that. That makes no sense whatsoever. So
1: he didn't... Was it a was it a physical thing? Because sometimes we get all um, crazy about the way someone looks, and we overlook. Yeah. Yeah, I think,
0: you know, he kind of ticked a lot of the boxes. Like, he was really nice, and he could be really fun and funny. And when we did go out, we had a great time, and he was a very attractive guy and had a good job. And, you know, so all of those things. But it just, you know, he was very vague about certain people in his past. Like, he didn't, he had, I think, four sisters, and he only ever talked about one of them, Mm -hmm. which is strange. He would never talk about his dad. Like, there was just other pieces that were kind of missing
1: yeah. And Emily, is that how you felt? It was the feeling you felt, or were you attracted to the physicalities, or what? What was it?
2: Um, I was attracted to the way that he wanted—that I thought he wanted the best for me. Like I've never really dated someone that was like, "Oh my God, I actually like don't want you to be drinking so much." Like most of the guys that I dated, were we would always go and have drinks and whatever and parties, and without thinking about how it was actually affecting me. Whereas what I really liked about my co-cues was that he wasn't like that, and he wasn't like all like. He wasn't, like, ever, like, send nudes. Like, he wasn't, like, he, not, he didn't sexualize me like that. Like, he actually treated me, like, it was, like, kind of the complete opposite of that, which was which was really nice. So, Emily, I have to ask, what is it about your whole journey that you
0: are most proud of?
2: I think I'm most proud of um, my momentum. My momentum and my ability to, like, my my desire to just keep doing what I do from 8 a.m. till midnight you know and that's when I know I've I've found my actual purpose is because like there's no like you're never going to hear from me oh I can't wait to get home from work because it's just like I love every second of what I do and I just meet so many interesting people and I'm helping so many other people that that really need it and that to me is is growth and and powerful and and purposeful Hmm. do you have plans to expand your business Sure yes, does.
0: products,
2: yeah, 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 it like works this, from eight a m till midnight, yeah, can you share, yeah, so we're launching like a whole all new packaging um the first year was kind of about brand building, you know, we didn't have like the prettiest packaging, but it was more about the mission and, and the story, and now we've kind of accumulated some revenue, so we're able to like step up our game in terms of packaging, we're gonna be going out to like more medium sized retailers um yeah in in mississauga and oakville in in Toronto, so it's it's going really well. And that's like all happening within the next couple of weeks. So
1: very exciting. Uh, we have one yeah. more question for you. We have a minute yeah. left, not even how can we as individuals challenge ourselves to examine prejudices ingrained into our way of thinking from society?
2: Um, number one, volunteer. Like there's no, there's no better thing than I think like not just lived experience, but also like, like associating with, li- with lived experience because um, we can read all the articles we want. We can, you know, consume all the content, but if we're not Wait actually, by. if we're not actually, you know, stepping in, you know, and actually hear what these people have to say like face to face asking, could we all have our own unique questions when it comes to understanding stigma, right? Like there's not like one set of questions. Um, we might have our own issues that we're trying to figure out. Right. So I think that by volunteering, you can actually build really close relationships with people that have been through all kinds of different, all different walks of life and it can really help you under, understand for sure. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a huge person that about, like I love volunteering and volunteering with what taught me a lot of like skills and made a lot of connections. So it's a, it's truly beneficial.
1: Well, what an inspiring story, Emily, of how you rose from adversity, created positive opportunities from negative circumstances. You nailed it, girl. Congratulations. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can people find out more about you and your business?
2: Sure, yeah. You can um, check out uh, comebacksnacks.com. You can head to our social media, which is at comebacksnacks. Shoot me a message. Uh, my email is emily at comebacksnacks.com. Don't. I'm at joankellywalker.com
0: or on Instagram, Joan Kelly Walker Official.
1: And you can find me, Official Laura Vallada, on Instagram. SingleInTheCity.ca is the website. Or you can also follow us the Dating and Relationship Show on Instagram as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Ciao for now.